Welcome back to Current Affairs, our show about the stories of love gone fatally wrong that are in the news right now. These shorter contemporary stories come out on Fridays, while our extensive full-length 90-minute two-hour main episodes come out every Wednesday. Well, this week, we're diving into a case that is coming to trial after more than four years of mystery. Early on May 24th, 2019, just after dropping off her kids at school, 50-year-old Jennifer Dulos went missing. For the first time, someone might be held accountable. Here's the story. Jennifer and her husband, Fotis Dulos, had five children between 8 and 13 at the time of Jennifer's disappearance. That included two pairs of twins. The two were married for 13 years, but in June 2017, Jennifer had abruptly left with her children and filed for divorce. According to court documents, Jennifer said that she was afraid of Fotis and believed that he would, quote, harm me in some way. As you might imagine then, the divorce proceedings were anything but cordial. In July of 2017, Jennifer had filed for an emergency order for full custody of her children. The court turned down that application, stating that the plaintiff had not established by a preponderance of evidence that there is an immediate and present risk of physical danger or psychological harm to the party's children. As a result, the request for emergency relief is denied. In March 2018, however, the court did deny Fotis access to the children. They said there was a, quote, immediate and present risk of psychological harm to the children if they have unrestricted and unsupervised contact with the defendant, as well as a risk of physical danger. The court would, however, reverse that decision and decide to give Fotis the ability to have supervised visitation. Well, we don't know the full details of what was driving Jennifer's fear of her husband. We do know that he was not being faithful at the time of the divorce. For approximately a year before Jennifer filed, Fotis had been involved with a woman named Michelle Traconis. Fast forward to that fateful day of May 24th. Jennifer was last seen driving a black 2017 Chevy Suburban to drop her kids off at the new Cannon County School. At 11 a.m., she missed a doctor's appointment, and at 7.30 p.m., she was reported missing. That night, police issued a silver alert for Jennifer and found her SUV near a nearby park. New Cannon Police Sergeant Scott Romano would later testify that he was tasked with guarding the car all night until it could be impounded and taken to the police headquarters. He said that he saw what looked to be a blood-like substance on the lower part of the SUV and something else that looked like it had been wiped on the car as well. The next day, on May 25th, detectives from the Connecticut State Police went to the home Jennifer was renting with her kids in New Cannon. They found traces of blood in the garage, although it appeared to have been cleaned. At this point, police believed that Jennifer had been the victim of a violent crime, and the investigation split in two distinct directions. The first was the attempt to find Jennifer, or, as some grimly thought their task to be, to recover her body. Over the next few days, local and state police and canine units searched the area around Jennifer's house, as well as where her car had been found, although it was to no avail. At the same time, the investigation was honing in on Fotis and his lover, Michelle Traconis. Even as the police were hunting for his estranged wife, Fotis had requested to be able to see his kids. He claimed that they were staying in New York City at the apartment of their grandmother and Jennifer's mother, Gloria, under watch of an armed guard they had hired. It also came to light at this time that Gloria and her late husband were themselves involved in a legal battle with Fotis, claiming that he had failed to repay $1.7 million in loans that they had made to him to purchase and redevelop homes as part of his business. Apparently, Jennifer's family had started loaning Fotis money all the way back in 2004 when they first got married or perhaps even before they got married. 
they kept making loans until 2015. But by 2018, a year after Jennifer had filed for divorce, two lawsuits were filed claiming that Fotis had stopped making payments to the family, which certainly seems like it could have been part of the problems in the marriage. By May 30th, 2019, authorities announced they were treating Jennifer's disappearance as a homicide. On May 31st, 2019, at 6 p.m., witnesses saw police speaking with Fotis and his girlfriend, Michelle. They entered the couple's home and stayed for an hour, after which the two were escorted to the Troop L barracks in Litchfield for Fotis to provide DNA and hair samples. Police also seized Fotis's 2014 Ford F-150. On June 1st, 2019, police officially arrested both Fotis and Michelle from a hotel they were staying at. They were charged with tampering with or fabricating physical evidence and first-degree hindering prosecution in the disappearance of Jennifer Dulos, and each held on $500,000 bond. According to their arrest warrants, on the night of Jennifer's disappearance, the couple were seen on dozens of security cameras making a series of stops along a four-mile stretch of road in Hartford, where they discarded trash bags that were later found to contain Jennifer's blood. Cell phone data confirmed both Michelle and Fotis had been in the Hartford area at the time of the footage. At their arraignment on June 3rd, the judge kept their bonds at $500,000. Michelle posted bond and was released while Fotis was brought back to Bridgeport Correctional. Police spent the next week searching Jennifer's rented home as well as Fotis's home. After 10 days in custody, however, on June 11, 2019, Fotis pleaded not guilty and posted $35,150 in bond, leading to his release. The state's attorney had tried to show evidence that Fotis's DNA had been found mixed with Jennifer's blood in a kitchen sink at her new Cannon house, but was unsuccessful in increasing bond. Norm Pattis, Fotis's attorney, made headlines around this time for claiming that Jennifer had gone-girled herself, referring to the Gillian Flynn novel about a woman in a troubled marriage who fakes her own death and frames her husband. Gillian Flynn said in a statement, It absolutely sickens me that a work of fiction written by me would be used by Fotis Dulos's lawyer as a defense and as a hypothetical, sensationalized motive behind Jennifer's very real and very tragic disappearance. Get it, Miss Flynn? Mm-hmm. And yet, that still wasn't the worst thing Pattis would claim. At the end of June, after Fotis spoke publicly for the first time saying he missed his kids, his attorney claimed that the defense was examining a possible revenge-suicide hypothesis, basically arguing that Jennifer killed herself to get back at Fotis. Sick. He needs to be on trial, the attorney. Seriously. The rest of 2019 was filled with the twists and turns of the investigation and the case. In September, Fotis was once again arrested, this time on a single charge of evidence tampering. Police claimed that he had a truck cleaned that contained a blood-like substance that contained Jennifer's DNA. This warrant started to paint a picture of what police believe happened on that fateful night in May. Authorities alleged that Fotis was, quote, lying in wait in Jennifer's rented home after she returned from dropping the kids off at school. They further claimed that Jennifer was the victim of a, quote, serious physical assault. At 1025, Jennifer's Suburban was seen driving away from her home to the location where it was ultimately abandoned. Video surveillance from a local school bus would later place a red truck owned by one of Fotis's employees just 100 feet from where the investigators would find Jennifer's SUV. Still, in spite of all of this, Fotis hadn't yet been arrested for Jennifer's murder, just evidence tampering. He was processed and released again after posting a $500,000 bond. Girlfriend Michelle Traconis turned herself in the next day and was also released after posting a $100,000 bond. What? 
wild. Later that month, Jennifer's family made an official statement saying that with great sadness, they believed their beloved daughter and mother to be dead. In October, Michelle and Fotis broke up and Michelle moved her belongings out of the home that they shared and which Jennifer and the kids had previously lived in and which Fotis had borrowed money from Jennifer's family to buy. Although at the time, Michelle and Fotis were walking free, the net was clearly closing in. Finally, on January 7th, 2020, three people were charged in connection with Jennifer's homicide. Fotis was charged with murder and kidnapping. Michelle was charged with conspiracy to commit murder. And that same charge was levied against Kent Mawinney, who was Fotis's former civil attorney in the lawsuit against Jennifer's family. Wow. One of the new pieces of evidence was that the days before Jennifer went missing, a member of a gun club that Kent had founded discovered what appeared to be a human grave in the woods on the gun club's property. In the hole were two bags of lime, which might have been used to decompose a body. Kent and Michelle's bond was set at $2 million, while Fotis's was set at $6 million, which he posted. Wow. How? <laughs> Where is he getting? It's all the money he hasn't paid as in loss. Yeah. On January 28th, Fotis was scheduled for an emergency bond hearing, but he did not show up. Police performed a welfare check on him where they found him unresponsive in a vehicle. He was flown to a hospital for treatment from carbon monoxide poisoning, but he passed away. Authorities found a suicide note that continued to proclaim his innocence in Jennifer's death. In February, Michelle hired well-known criminal defense attorney John Schoenhorn. In May, she made her first public comments, saying it was a mistake to have trusted Fotis. In August, Connecticut filed two more counts of conspiracy to commit tampering with evidence against Michelle. In October of that year, 2020, Kent Mawinney finally made bond after nine months behind bars. He basically immediately tried to start cutting a plea deal, claiming that the night before Jennifer's disappearance, Michelle and Fotis had told him what they were planning to do. Unfortunately, especially for Michelle's family, the next three years were just nonstop legal process and procedure. It wouldn't be until October of last year, 2023, that things really started to pick up again. On October 24th, a judge officially declared Jennifer dead in response to a petition from her mother, Gloria, to do so. On October 26th, after nearly a month of jury selection, the final juror was selected for Michelle's trial. The trial was scheduled to begin on January 8th. This was delayed once again, however, by the excuse of jurors, which led to the trial being pushed back again for a few days. Finally, on January 11th, the trial began. Michelle faces charges including conspiracy to commit murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit tampering with physical evidence, two counts of tampering with physical evidence, and one count of second-degree hindering prosecution. The first two days of testimony did not feature that much of a spectacle. Instead, it showed the prosecution slowly and methodically starting to make their case. They spent a significant amount of time on the presence of Jennifer's purse containing ID and thousands of dollars in cash at the home. The implication was clearly that there was no way that anyone would go on the run and leave all of that important material at home. So maybe the defense is still planning to do the Gone Girl defense? I am sure we'll have more info and updates weekly. For now, we're hoping for some speedy justice for Jennifer's family. Until next time, I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette, signing off for Love Murder Current Affairs. <laughs> <laughs>